Hello and welcome to Integrated Rhythm 2 Swing Dancing Besties. That's Chisomo Salamani and myself, Bobby White, exploring race and other important topics in swing dancing and jazz dancing and jazz music. This is a follow-up episode to an episode we did a couple episodes ago called The Gig, where we talk about this crazy gig. So this is a follow-up reaction episode to that. We want to thank our Patreon patrons so much for all of your help and others who have contributed monetarily to help us keep the lights on. Anyway, we hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Integrated Rhythm. This is a follow-up to our episode called The Gig, where, just to quickly, if you haven't gone and listened to that one, first off, you should. It's a lot of fun. If you haven't, or or if it's been a while, here is the rundown. Um, I was part of a gig involving uh, lots of dancers from New York that run by Gabby Cook that went down to the Biltmore Estate in North Carolina and performed this crazy. Uh, we did we did a few different things there. One of which was putting on masks and being creepy butlers, handing out place cards for people to sit down. And then another one was that we performed in front of the Biltmore to a little party never hurt nobody by Fergie, I believe, and 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 others and. Then a whole uh, that was in the dark, pretty cold, and a whole bunch of fireworks went off because that's the kind of money this party cost. And it was just mind-blowing to kind of sit there while all these fireworks are going off around you in the cold. I'm in New York, so if that sound came through, that was a truck. Um so it's just really mind-blowing to sit there in the middle with all these fireworks going off around you and all the audience turning to look at the fireworks because, and then not look at you perform the rest of the routine oh, while they broadcasted a giant projection on the face of the Biltmore. And I kind of just sat there in that moment thinking to myself, like, I, I am a Lindy Hop performer, and this is somehow what that means right now in this point in time. And so we told the story to Jasomo because I thought it was really a fun and interesting story. And uh, so we're here to talk about our feelings on that whole thing since we didn't have a chance to talk about it last time. All right. I think that sets us up. Yeah. I, the amount of introspection that has happened um, through that event is hilarious to me because it seemed like, um, like in our episode, Gabby said something about like, um, you know, you, you sit and you reflect on <laughs> like, like the turd is on your laptop. It's staring at you. You're staring at it. And you're like, you look into the universe. Like it's just, <laughs> and then as you mentioned, um, you're dancing and you're in this like wild situation and you're like, this is happening. This is this is what it means to be a Lindy Hopper in the 21st century. And all right. It's just like, I feel like there's like a bunch of Hamlet moments. Like I just need somebody to have a skull and just be like, <laughs> to be or not to be. That is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind. Am I wrong? <laughs> like, it's just, 
seems like it seems like this uh this this gig was such an experience um i you know one of the things i appreciate you said this to me in a private conversation but i think it makes sense here also is like sometimes you do a thing for the experience right like you do a thing because you know there's going to be a good story associated with it and yeah go ahead yeah no yeah you're right sometimes yeah and you, you you've done like you know these gigs uh this like this big biltmore gig i think gabby kind of said something to this effect is is not like so different from a lot of the other small gigs that we do it just kind of encompassed everything on such a grand scale that it was that's the one that like blew your mind like like yeah. oh it kind of put it all in perspective because like we uh this routine this song a little party never hurt nobody is a is on the is on the possible routines that can be purchased through Gabby's company, right? Like, because not everyone, you know, people will call up and say, hey, it's the 20s again. So let's do, let's get some jazz dancers or some Charleston style dancers. But you know what we don't want is we don't want that. Like they don't want the jazz music. They want only something to link it, something that feels cool. Even though to us, it might feel the opposite of, you know, it might feel like, you well, know, now you're totally devoiding the music from, you're, you're to, t taking the, the dancing and the context away from the rhythm that it was created to. Yeah. And so, yeah. but, you know, so like we, we do do gigs where we have a little party never hurt nobody and we, and we've, we've danced that before. And we do have gigs where there was one gig where, uh, we were there to dance, you know, we, we were told we would just be social dancing. And as soon as we get there, the, the party programmer is like, okay, so uh, you're going to be serving drinks. And then you have to see Gabby deal with this moral quandary. This like, first off, we are dancers, not, not servers. And, and that's not, that's not a, that's not a one is superior than the other. That's a, we are not qualified. Like, I am yeah. not qualified yeah. to hold trays with glasses and not drop them because I've never done that before. And so like, I am a bad choice to <laughs> deliver your drinks. And they gave us like these hilariously top heavy, like martini style glasses. Like basically it was a disaster waiting to happen. And so we had yeah. to see Gabby kind of deal with like, at first she was kind of like, okay, we're just going to roll with the punches. We'll like, do it. And so like we sort of like, you know, I held the tray for like five minutes before it changed again. And I don't remember if it was Gabby that changed it again, but I would not be surprised. But basically that's the kind of, yeah, uh, that thing happens. And so like us being creepy butlers holding trays is not out of the ordinary. It's just like, yeah. and they asked, you know, they asked, um, they asked, uh, some of the dancers, Gabby, Laura Glace, uh, among them to walk under the floating orb thingy majigger and not get hit in the face by the floating orb lights and do this perfectly timed thing, which is great to ask dancers to do because it requires coordination and rhythm. Uh, and you know, that like they have asked us to do, they have asked us to dance in pretty interesting situations that require very good knowledge of your surroundings and being able not to hit people or bump important expensive things. 
but again, this was just like the most pinnacle of like craziness <laughs> in that regard. Yeah. And so yeah. it, it does represent like it does represent a lot of gigs that are that are done here, especially in New York. Yeah. Yeah. It's um I, I the the other thing that uh struck me was the um it's, we're all, we're ultimately talking about this already, but it's like the unwritten expectations of a performer, right? And so there are things that are explicitly laid out in the contract, and then there there's like room for flexibility because, like, as we know, with any job, there's usually some sort of workload creep. There's usually something that happens where an additional responsibility is put on your plate or whatnot, yeah. right? Um, but it's so interesting to think about like the additional skills that people assume you have or tasks that you are going to be given and then the requisite disposition that makes sense for a person who's doing this professionally and so um that was something else that really struck me was that i, I think like most areas uh, most things that you could be employed for most jobs. Um, I think that the assumption about the disposition is, is different than what you actually need to have. Like um, you have to be a super flexible human being, like emotionally to do this well and to do this full time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's, it speaks yeah. to so many things that are truths in and, and, you know, it's, I can assure the listeners, I have no doubt that it was the same thing for Whitey's Lindy Hoppers, the same thing for Mommy Parks dancers. Like, you know, they were asked to, I'm sure, I am positive they were asked to do some like ridiculous things or like so ridiculous. They were asked to do things far outside of what they were, you know, what was on their contract. Like, and especially when you think about like the hierarchy of performance. And how the hierarchy is probably, I mean, it's still probably similar today, thankfully, without as much of a heavy racial component to it. But like the hierarchy back then, as, as Frankie Manning and Norman Miller talk about in their books, uh, it's, a, it's in a lot of the subtext. And sometimes they even mention it outright is, you know, the raggedy ass Lindy Hoppers. I think that's a Norman Miller quote that they were the raggedy ass Lindy Hoppers. And, you know, they, they were teenagers. First off, they were teenagers. They were black American teenagers. They were black American teenagers from Harlem who a lot of them weren't socially, economically very high. And and when you combine that with the fact that they were not professional, you know, like this, this was a thing that they were, this was brand new to them performing for money. And, and it's not like they had a lot of experience, especially in those first few years. And so, you know, I, I like to tell people, Frankie Manning and Norma's books both kind of follow a similar arc. That's a really interesting arc. The first half of their books is how they discovered is how they grew up and discovered Lindy Hop and fell in love with Lindy Hop. And the second arc of their books is how they learned to become professional entertainers. And those are like, you can see that line in both of their books. And I think it's a, mm -hmm. I, I think it's really fascinating. Um, and so there's the same thing going on with, so all of those dancers, all of their dancers were at least confronting that to some extent. And so, yeah, it, who's going to get asked to do the crappy, 
you know, job first is the, the raggedy ass teenagers, right? Or like whoever's the most dependable among the raggedy ass teenagers is yeah. probably the ones that are going to be um, asked to do those like jobs because, you know, Bill Robinson on top of the bill, who's he sure as hell not going to do it, you know? Um, and so you have this kind of pecking order in the entertainment industry. And on top of that, there's the sad fact that it's still a prestige industry, right? Like, People don't say, oh, there's a, there's a severely underpaid worker. They say, oh, there's someone who gets to dance for a living. So they don't need to have money or a strong contract, you know, like, or if, <laughs> if, if they don't do the thing, we can just not hire them again. And so therefore they will not you know, see work as often. And so there is definitely that, like, uh, I can only imagine how much Gabby has to kind of deal with G Gabby, who has really strong, um, uh, Gabby has a really strong, uh, sense of like, you know, Oh, we are, we're dancers. This is what we have the dignity yeah. to do. This is what we, you do not ask us to do this. We will not do this. We take care of our props. They are very expensive. We, you know, uh, uh, and yet I'm, I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm sure she has to deal with this quandary all the time of like, well, if, if we deny this, then does that mean that we don't get this or to what extent do we need to do this in order to be good sports, you know, like, so, and it's not just economic, right? Sometimes it's about being a good sport or, or about being like the best professional you can be. And so like, maybe we do take on that thing because we want to be good professionals and because being flexible is part of the fun and because it's not a big deal, right? Yeah. But just like you said, you know, the the workload can creep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and thinking about, um, I mean, you're, and Laura said this to Gabby, like she's a consummate professional. Um, and so like, Gabby's approach reminds me, like, so we, uh, reminds me of my experiences with theater and granted my experiences with theater are pretty limited, but um I have had the opportunity to kind of peek behind the curtain a little bit into the professional space because we, uh, my university has one of the best like musical theater programs in the country. And I know you uh, have a whole degree in theater. Um, so feel free to, um, to correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it feels to me like I, like with, if you are doing a theatrical production, you have your properties manager, you have your props manager, right? You have um, people who are, you uh, You have different members of the team that take care of different, you have your stage manager, you've got your actors and everybody's role is clearly defined. And what it seems like Gabby's done within her organization is she's figured out how to be like the stage manager, the uh, assistant director, the props manager, but then also like split those responsibilities across the group. And um, she's in a sense codified this like moving theater, because that's essentially what, what we're doing as performers. It's like, it's a moving theatrical piece that goes to different places. Right. And so, um, and so I feel like there's a parallel experience with what professional Lindy hoppers do that we see like, um, in Hollywood or in New York, like in, I mean, you're physically in New York, but like on Broadway, right? Like, um, I think people, lay people can like look at the, 
look at Broadway productions and look at like Hollywood films with awe, but there are people on both sets that are treated the same, right? Dear listeners, at this point, a malfunction happened and then we cleared it up. I, I believe what I was saying was that there's a parallel between what we see in Hollywood studios, what we see on Broadway, and what we see with like professional indie hoppers in that, as you mentioned, there's a pecking order, but then I think there's also a surprising number of folks that are not treated like celebrities. <laughs> and I think when people are like attend a swing dance or take classes and so on, just like if you're an aspiring actor or dancer, in these different arenas, you might assume that because you see somebody um, with a speaking line or you see somebody on stage in a prominent role that they're being treated like a celebrity backstage, like that's not necessarily the case. The people who get to be divas are folks that are that either like came in with lots of money, <laughs> right? like they're already like, um, a, maybe they're a legacy, their parent has a lot of money, or they have risen through the ranks to be like highly awarded and highly regarded. But um, even so, I was watching, um, I saw a snippet of an interview, I believe it was, uh, it was with Taraji Henson, um, and I believe they were talking about the movie, The Color Purple, and not just The Color Purple, but her experiences in Hollywood. And she was saying how tired she is of being underpaid. And um, like we have this, the SAG-AFTRA and, um, and, oh my gosh, I can't remember all the people, like the, all, all the strikes were happening as a result of like, of the working conditions of these folks. So like, I guess what I'm saying is that I think, we need to, we as lay people, people who participate in swing dancing need to think long and hard about the people that we see performing, the people that we see instructing and people we see in prominent places and be mindful of like what happens behind the scenes, you know? Like I I, I feel like I, I see a lot of people clamoring to want to be someone in a prominent position, um, but I, I, I feel like hearing the story calls me more to a sense of community and wanting to make sure that we are taking care of one another well versus trying to aspire for a particular place of prominence. Does that, I mean, it's, it's all of Yeah, totally, sense. totally, totally. You know, the if anyone looks upon, you know, if, if I were to say, oh, we're getting flown to the Biltmore Estate to, to dance, Lindy hop in front of, you know, in, in front of people, it's going to include a hotel stay. We're going to have a rehearsal. We're going to hobnob with some pretty famous wealthy people that could sound like it's perhaps a dream job or, oh, wow, that's, that's, uh, how amazing that you get to do that. And for the record, it is amazing that I get to do that, but not in the sense that one might think it's amazing to get to do that. Like the fun of that event and the reason why I knew it was going to be worthwhile was not only the fact that like, oh, wow, this is going to be a crazy story, um, was that like the people that we were doing it with is that I was going to be surrounded by good friends of mine like AJ and Laura 
and Gabby and and the other dancers and and the camaraderie that uh, that I that I knew we were going to have was going to be was going to be a good time. And also, we were getting paid a, a relatively good sum for the work, not an incredible sum, but we were getting paid for it. And so, those are the th- like it's it wasn't it wasn't glamorous <laughs> in the way that like. Uh, you know, maybe a teenager might listen to that and think it's glamorous. It was the, it was not glamorous. It was, you're wearing, you know, if you go back and listen to the story, you can see that it wasn't like really glamorous. It was, it was glamorous in quote marks. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and the reality of it was, was obviously not glamorous. And if anything, you know, it was eye opening. Like, you know, uh, you, you watch, I haven't watched this, but this is like a, a comparison I heard recently. It's like you watch a, a so-and-so Real Housewives episode and they're putting on some lavish party and drama is just going down left and right. And they're getting yeah. just like so worked up over the tiniest details. And and like the point of that, it, like a time-honored tradition in our, our world uh, or the time-honored tradition of being able to look at wealthy people and see how ridiculous it can be for some people to be wealthy or for many people to be wealthy, like like how same problems or even, even smaller problems are still there and they're huge problems and money doesn't really change that. Um, I don't know how I got off on that, but that was still part of like, that was part of the experience that I took away from the weekend is that like they, someone was like, we are going to have, the biggest we're going to get dancers to perform we're going to pay them to perform these 12 human beings are going to like do (laughs) art with their human bodies and then let's put a giant broadcast behind them and then let's put fireworks all around so that the audience isn't even going to look at the 12 human bodies that are like performing art for us they will look at the uh, very impressive amounts of pyrotechnics and projector and and AI projection. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny to me because it's like, okay, we are going to, and like some people might be, might not love this example, but like, whatever, go with me, roll with me on this. It's like, we're going to take Monet's water lilies. We're going to, right. Monet did water water lilies, right, 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 right. Yeah, we're going to take Monet's water lilies. We're going to put them on a wall so that everybody can see it. And then we're going to have fireworks go off at the same time. And also a light show against water lilies. And it's going to be in the dark, right? Like, it's like... You know, like you said, you have human beings doing art with their bodies and not just human beings, but human beings that have performed like that perform in Carnegie Hall, people, humans that have performed in the Guggenheim, humans that have that perform in Lincoln Center, like who performed on national and international television. Like we're talking about people who and, and, and are Kennedy ready. Center just Kennedy Center. Did I say? Yeah, in Kennedy Center. Sorry. I, 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 no, it's okay. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. It's not important to you left out the Kennedy Center. Like, yes, that's who <laughs> I was trying to say. It's Kennedy Center or not. But yes, no, you, but you're Center. correct on all of those. You're correct yeah. on all of those. All those yes. Things. Yes. And like, 
humans who are considered to be like the best in their craft. Like we're not, we're not just talking about like um, a really great, like artist who, you know, like a great local artist that's like painted a mural. You know what I'm saying? That's part of the reason why I chose Monet's Water Lilies. You know, it's like, we're going to take, we're going to get some of the best dancers in this specific area in the entire world. We're going to have them do some really complicated shit and then mask it all <laughs> with chaos. <laughs> it's just like, uh, it's so, it's funny to me. Um, and, and part, like, I, I think part of that is to what extent, uh, I'm just going to riff off the cuff here. To what extent does our art if our art isn't in the mainstream zeitgeist, if our art isn't currently right in front of people's faces, considered like a living art, then to what extent are we a decoration? You know, like we are, we are dancers who are trying to keep alive and literally keep alive, like keep it living. This art form from the 1920s, 30s and 40s that was done to music of those time periods. And none of that is currently in the world's thought of a living art and so for them maybe it seemed like we're not hiring when you hire vintage or tradition when you hire traditional jazz dancers you're not really hiring like a modern artist you're hiring a decorative display like a living decorative display and I, I i don't think that they think about that literally that way but maybe in the back of their head or maybe subconsciously that's more how people think of us because if i mean let's face it if 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 they want us to dance to a little party never hurt nobody then they're already separating they're you know they're, they're already saying oh we just want a part of this art that applies to our conception of of coolness or modernity or or our perception of what what's a little bit more interesting to a modern person or a little bit more you know current i i have to have to think about that um so I, I think I have this category in my mind actually because of Gabby Cook. A number of years ago, there was a desire to do more of like chorus girls things in Cleveland. And like, there was a group of us that came out that um, we, came, we had a little bit of, we became a troop. And um, as we were learning what it meant to be a troop, Gabby came to Cleveland and did some work with us. And so one of the things she, the phrase that she taught me at that time that I have like clung on to that I think is really kind of a funny phrase, but I like it as well, is the notion of atmospheric work, right? So, mm. um, <laughs> so there, uh, the notion of atmospheric work, like, um, assumes that the dancer or the hired artist is like creating an atmosphere. And so, I think that a lot of people like 
who have decided what it means to do Lindy Hop or to hire Lindy Hoppers are like the thing that they don't verbalize is that aspect of atmospheric work. They want you to dance and they want you to create an atmosphere that feels a particular way. And then I also think when people hear the word Gatsby, they have a, a notion in their mind of like lavishness. And like, so there, so there already is a separation from the, the way in which the dance is situated because they're going for an ideal that comes out of a book um, versus like um, real people situated in place and time. Right. And so um, I, I, I think that there's like, this is one of the things that happens. There's like an overlapping perception with like um, what, uh, pop cult, pop culture references and like people, what people know about things based on literature and film versus the lived experiences of people. And then also the artistic forms that came from those people. Um, but at the same time, I would also, I would also ask the question and also posit like, how well do lay people know any aspect of art, right? Like um, we can, we can like, um, we can name certain people like Rembrandt, Monet, Monet, Picasso, like there's certain people that like most have learned about in school because of like the particular bend that school, like the things that schools decide to teach. But, um, just because you can name some people doesn't necessarily mean that you understand impressionism, right? Just because you know what a piece of print working is doesn't necessarily know that you know the process. And so um, I, I think there's a question about educate the, like the process of educating folks that the journey that we're on, right? Like, hence why we have a podcast. <laughs> you know? um, and so I, I think that there's, it's very valid and worthwhile to continue to like, to have conversations asking people about like the people and place and the very real history um, that has brought us to where we are. Um, because while the mainstream doesn't know that much about vernacular swing dancing or the origins of um jazz they uh, there's still pockets of communities that have that have held on to this legacy you know i was watching some chicago step in the other day and like you know there's you have these amazing communities that have continued on in their legacy of these dances dancing too more, um, I, I struggle with modern versus contemporary versus like, listen, listen, dancing to music that has been made more recently, right? Um, yeah. But using some of the same mechanics that we would use and swing. And so, um, yeah, there's, it's just like such a fluid and interesting conversation. You know, I think it's really important for us to continue to draw attention to it. Um, and elevate it and elevate the histories and the music and the movement. And I feel like the, you know, the, if the idea that like we are, maybe we are in a decorative or atmospheric artistic 
uh, maybe in the back of people's minds, promoters' minds were kind of like fall into that category. It does make me think that like, well, I mean, the original dancers, they had to contend with the fact that maybe they were thought of as as acrobatics, you know, or or in anything being done by black Americans might be thought of as, you know, oh, that that's a that's a fun, frivolous black American thing. So it'll be entertaining in the, in in like a vaudeville way, and yet that doesn't stop, and that never stopped them from being the best artists they could be. That never stopped them from like truly, you know, breaking. As as anyone who's ever tried to do a swing out as good as you know they do in Hell's a Poppin' at three hundred BPM, <laughs> that takes work, and that takes reps and that takes uh that 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 also takes a concentrated like thought of like honing it to be the most efficient for the body but also the most satisfying for the spirit like that takes there's so much went into their dancing that it could be easy to see someone who doesn't understand that or doesn't know that or doesn't hasn't lived you know hasn't studied their butts off watching it like a lot of us have uh, anyone, uh, it, it, it could be easy for people to be like, oh, wow, they're doing fun flips. That's crazy. And like have that be like the some concept in their mind when they hire like the Whitey Slendy Hoppers. And that didn't stop them from just being artists themselves. And that that is something that um, that is something that is a is a is a struggle in in this world of doing the gigs. Right. You know, you get a you get a gig and uh, you're going to put on uh a very stereotypical jazz era outfit, which are, you know, um, I happen to like these, but not, I, I happen, you know, like the sus- tall pants with suspenders, of maybe a bowler hat, bow tie. Like, I happen to like that style. If I didn't happen to like that style, it would be even weirder and or even more of a conflict for me to like to kind of think about. But OK, so you're going to put on this like this costume, um, this costume that has some baggage if you think about it in some ways, you know, like uh, in the ways that the modern Lindy Hop scene has been thinking about how much does our uh, vintage fetish, especially from previous years, how much does that vintage fetish cause as a gatekeeping device or as a, as a unwelcoming door, you know, like, so we have all these things kind of going into the baggage of, of the clothing that we're putting on. And then on top of that, you're going to go and you're going to, maybe it's a holiday party. Maybe they're going to, you're going to perform a song or two. Uh, ho- hopefully it's to jazz music, but it might not be as, you know, a little party never hurt nobody. It doesn't really have a swing rhythm. You have to kind of like force it on it. And okay, so now we're dancing to this music that actually doesn't make us feel the way that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel very satisfying to dance to this music using these movements because we know how satisfying these movements are to actual swung music. And that reminds me of, Norma Miller, uh, after Norma Miller won, uh, Norma, uh, Norma Miller placed in the Harvest Moon Ball, 1935. No, she was, she was one of the Whitey's Lindy Hoppers who did very well in the, in the 1935, but I don't, I don't think that she placed, if I recall correctly. But basically, because Leon James kicked butt in the Harvest Moon Ball and Frankie Manning kicked butt in the Harvest Moon Ball that year and Ma- Maggie McMillian and Edith Matthews, because they all kicked butt in the Harvest Moon Ball that year. Uh, Whitey started getting jobs, and he, mm-hmm. and he took Norma, and, uh, so he took, um, so he wanted to get the top two couples, he wanted to get Leon and Edith and Maggie and Frankie to go on a European tour. Frankie Manning was in a 
relationship at the time. I hope I'm not confusing stories. But if I recall correctly, Frankie was like, still had his furrier job and he was, uh, he basically didn't want to go on tour at the time. It was not a good time to go on tour. And, uh, and Whitey kept him up all night trying to convince him like out on the stoop. He kept him up all night trying to convince him or whatever. And he couldn't convince him. Uh, so Norma ended up, Norma and partner ended up going instead of them. And that tour really, uh, Norma had some really, unpositive things some really negative things to say about the tour she the because they didn't have a band with them they had to rely on european bands and uh, surprising no one the european bands were not able to swing very well compared to you know the best new york swing bands they had been performing to up until that point Mm -hmm. and so uh she said it was just really like it it, from reading the pages you feel like it's pretty soul-sucking you know you're like oh wow this they really did not have a good time. Um, and a lot of it seemed to be like, because they were performing to bands that didn't swing and it just made it kind of hard to like really enjoy the performance. And she also says that Leon James, she never saw Leon James dance the same again after that tour. So in Norma's mind that like kind of destroyed something about Leon James. Although I don't know what Leon felt about the thing. And we have plenty of footage of Leon James dancing, like an amazing you know, yeah. there's plenty of footage of Leon James being an incredible dancer after that. So I don't know how valid that argument is, but at least the spirit of her statement was, is that tour wrecked them. And a lot of it seemed to be because they weren't actually performing, you know, like when they were performing, it wasn't what they wanted out of the performance, which was the whole reason they were there. Yeah. And so, you know, like uh, it is kind of a struggle sometimes to do these gigs. And on the one hand, I, I go back and forth between like the classic artist conundrum like i need the money this is my income like mm-hmm. you know there's compromises need to be made there's the idea that like well at least they're seeing lindy hop even if it's not lindy hop done the swing music at least they're seeing it done by people who are passionate about it and by people who take it you know uh seriously as an art form and so we are showing the world, even if, you know, one person at a holiday party at a time, like we are kind of putting that out into the universe. And, and then there's also the fact that like, well, our, our, is this isn't like, it's different for our elders, like our elders and pioneers, they went through the same stuff. And so on the one hand, there's that argument. And then on the other hand, there's like, well, if it's, if it's just not that satisfying or if it, it feels like there's a lot of compromises that are being made um, you know, we, we are putting on this outfit. Sometimes you get the feeling that like, oh, they expect me to dress a certain, they, they expect me to look a certain way. Like they expect me to have more of a vintage haircut or like, are they saying, why does that guy have a beard? That's not very 1920s of him to have a beard. You know, uh, you, you get the sense that there's this kind of aura also around. And so like, okay, well, will I, do I continue to do this in defiance of those things, which is something the original dancers certainly did a lot of, right? Um, talk about like first world, first world problems. Like, because I have a beard, I should defy their expectation. <laughs> did I not have a beard? Am I right? I think black people can maybe understand that feeling. <laughs> Do you ever listen to yourself and hear yourself and you're like, oh, wow. (laughs) 
but um so yeah i my my mind is spinning i have so many different things i'm thinking yeah. about that yeah. yeah this is crazy yeah just, but but to your point i mean like yeah I, um the original dancers were like we're not allowed to exist in this space well we get to exist anyway you know and so it is kind of funny to compare that to the beard comment but um but at the same time um uh pedantry right is real right like people get like very like when um you know when people are asking for a service they can be very picky and particular and entitled. And so, like you said, there can't even be that, like down to the, like, this dude is wearing a beard and I don't know how true to the time that is. And it's like, you know what? There were people back then. And so there were people that wore beards, just like there were black folks back then. So they were allowed to exist and we shouldn't erase them, their existence, right? Um, but so the, the thing that I... Uh, what that's been sticking in my mind that the thing that like has come to me as we're talking about this is like um i feel like an underlying question like uh in a situation like this is like what is the value of lindy hop and what is the value of it in the public eye and for me it's really it's actually very important um it's very important to me as an American. Um, <laughs> uh, because it is essentially one of the only truly American art forms. Um, Lindy Hop and hip hop were born in the United States and they were created by Americans and um, and I think it's really, really important to like celebrate that which has been born here, you know, um, and celebrate the people who created that thing. And so we, we don't have as hard of a time celebrating like the French and the Russians in like the ballet space. Uh, you know, and I, I think that uh, I, you know, I no no harm, no like no, I have no ill feelings towards ballet, but um, but I I think it's like in the same way that ballet is prized, um, in the same way that modern and um, modern dance and other dance forms are prized. I think it's really important for us to celebrate and elevate Lindy Hop and to continue to stay in this work. Um, I do also think it's important for us to emphasize the cost of staying in this work and, um, and also the necessity for this, for these art forms to stay, to, to maintain the values from which they came. And those values have to do with like community and, um, yeah. And so it's, I think that's the way, that's the only way that these dancers survive really, like is through a sense of collaboration and community, us taking care of one another, us making sure that those of us who are professionals are um, 
are still fed and clothed and housed and um because we need to like we i think it's important to like recognize and appreciate the performance aspects of this and like the excellence you know like so seeing you on the kennedy center stage seeing you on the lincoln center stage like um knowing that you have these opportunities to do these amazing gigs seeing the show swing out seeing latasha's jazz continuum like these are all great and and i think important things and so um yeah i i i think this is a conversation that continues right i don't really have any concluding thoughts i just know that i i'm excited to continue to see the bizarre stories that we all get ourselves into. <laughs> and I think, I think I do have an action item for you listeners out there. So I realized that, you know, we spent this time, uh, Whitey's Lindy Hoppers, Hell's a Poppin', you know, the most famous Lindy Hop scene in all time has a very, obvious talked about compromise in it the outfits that the dancers wear right they are black americans who were portrayed as only service staff and that was the that was the compromise that they made in order to still show in defiance their their art form i i've talked a lot about how like oh we can do uh well really quick going back to that if we look at the Whitey's Lindy Hoppers in the films that were made by black Americans, they're dressed in like, let's say, Boy, What a Girl, 1947. They're dressed in like nice clothes, rent party clothes. The scene takes place in a rent party. And so they're dressed in like the clothes that they would have worn to a rent party. Or if we look at the Harvest Moon Ball, where they got to choose the outfits that they wore, you're seeing them in like really glowing satin uh, it's it's so sad that we can't see those costumes live in color because they were very colorful. They were under bright lights. And if you haven't seen satin under bright lights, it can just like glow and it can be really, really amazing. Um, but you had like, they never chose to wear maids and servants outfits if left to their own choices, right? And so what we have here is uh, yes, they made compromises, but they also did plenty of time. They also did plenty of dancing on their own terms, I think is what I'm trying to say. And so as much as I've talked about the, the court, oh, these corporate gigs, they're rough. There's a lot to think about. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it, there's a lot going on. There's also the fact that, uh, we do have some opportunities to dance on our own terms. And so, you know, like our, in a lot of ways, the modern Lindy Hop scene is an attempt at that, right? Like we have our own events where we can do our own our own routines for other Lindy Hoppers. But if we think about the art form as a, you know, a, a ball, I, I don't think that ballet performers would would prefer to live in a world where they only perform to other ballerinas, and I don't think contemporary dancers would prefer to live in a world where they only perform to other contemporary dancers, right? Like part of the, part of the, part of this whole artistic expression thing is reaching people who don't know about the thing or who aren't experts on the thing, or just trying to like, you know, uh, 
give the embodiment, the spirit of that thing, try to show that to another, so that another person might be able to accept it, having never seen it before. And so my action item to those of y'all out there in the scene is if you have the means, if you have the opportunity to, uh, maybe try to find a way to show this art form to non-Lindy Hoppers. Maybe that means taking a speaker and some friends, fellow dancers, to a, a, a popular street corner in your town or city and for a few hours doing some busking. You don't even have to ask for tips. You can just dance in public as people walk by or maybe choose a park or maybe, you know, uh, do, do some kind of dancing out there in the world that non-Lindy Hoppers are going to see. Because I do think that maybe that's my biggest takeaway from this is that, yes, the, 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 all this gig stuff is crazy, but we also have power that we can do our own thing and put power in our own hands, even if we don't necessarily might not get paid adequately for it. It is still something that we can put on our list of things to do in our dancing lives. And I think that would go a long way towards not just getting more people interested in Lindy Hop. Also, I think it will feed your artistic soul, which I think is one of the reasons why you are in Lindy Hop. Yeah, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, and that uh, speaks directly to this notion of community too, right? To be seen. Um, I would also say if you're if you someone's like oh what you're doing is really cool feel free to be like yeah it's uh an Amer it's an american born dance and it came from black communities in new york city in harlem so like feel free i know a lot of people feel weird about like how do I share the history? I don't know that much about history. I think just saying a simple line, like even if you feel uncomfortable saying black, you could say this came from the African-American community. Done. Single sentence. <laughs> so um, say it with me. These dances came from the African-American community. Awesome. So um, these dances came from the African-American community. Seven words. I believe in you. Um, and then, then you can tell them what it means to you and like why you do this thing. You are allowed to own the fun that you have in it. You're allowed to own your own artistry. Um, that's not what we're saying. We're saying like, let's honor the origins because most people don't know. And um, the thing about marginalization and marginalization of people is that people on the margins are at risk of erasure. And so part of the reason why it's so important for us to ought to keep doing these dances and to honor them and to as bobby challenged you to share them is that um this remarkable community of people are at risk of erasure and so um yeah but thanks bobby <laughs>